Well, we are in the book of, of Romans. We are finishing up uh, chapter 8. We've been in a five-part uh, series on, uh, on the fact that as believers in Christ, um, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If your life is in Jesus... Uh, your relationship with him is inseparable. And, uh, you know, Paul is encouraging the, the believers in Rome. These are difficult days that they find themselves in. There's a lot of uh, persecution. If you're a follower of Christ, you are not a popular person. And uh, you live in a constant uh, fear that you may... Lose your job, lose your family, or lose your very own life. And so that's the context of uh, Romans chapter 8. But in that context, cultural context, Paul is encouraging us. And uh, we've looked at uh, several passages of Scripture. Uh, the first week we looked at the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a, that's a verse that lots of Christians like to quote. And the reason why there's no condemnation is because Jesus took all that condemnation upon himself at the cross. And uh, then we looked at the, the Spirit, and that uh, if our lives are in Christ, He's given us the gift of His Holy Spirit, and that His Spirit enables us to live uh, above the rest of the world. We don't have to behave like the rest of the world who's lost in their trespasses and sin. We are alive to God, and so He gives us the ability to love our neighbor and to love our enemy and live our lives for Christ. And then we looked at uh, suffering. And uh, suffering, I don't have to remind you that uh, suffering is prevalent in this world because this is a fallen world that we live in. But to, as Christians, as we compare this life of suffering now, it doesn't compare to what we are going to experience for all eternity. And so it helps us to persevere when life gets hard here and then last week we looked at the fact that God is always working for our good. And uh, I illustrated this through uh, mixing together for you a chocolate cake. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know if you accounted the number of ingredients uh, in that chocolate cake from scratch, but there were like only three of those ingredients that Tasted good. Sugar, um, milk, um, and if you want to count raw eggs, okay, maybe, but, uh, that, that was the third ingredient. Maybe salt. You might like the taste of salt, but, uh, there were far more ingredients that tasted bad than tasted good, but that was illustrated the fact that God takes the good things in our life and he takes the bad things and he puts them all together. He mixes it all together and then throws it in the heat, throws it in the oven. And uh, But the, the end pro- product is something uh, glorious. And that's just illustrates our life, that God is using all these things, both the good and the bad, for our good. Our internal good, 
Not necessarily our happiness on the outside, but our internal good, what's good for us and what is going to glorify him. So we looked at that last week and so and then this morning we are going to be looking at the fact that uh, nothing absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so we're going to look at verses 31 through 38 this morning in Romans chapter 8 as we conclude this um this great chapter. Paul says this, What then shall we say to, to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him glor- graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor Things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate us from God's love. We may face opposition. If God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible says we are more than conquerors in Christ. Yes, we are going to have opposition, but that opposition is never going to be able to be, to, to defeat us because God is for me. And so I want us to look this morning at why for the believer, for the, for the Christian, victory is secured. And there's two two reasons why the victory is secured from this text this morning. And uh, I'm not I don't want to say a whole lot. I want to get in the way of this text, but two reasons. Number 1, God's love for us, and the second reason is God's sovereignty. God is fully in control of all things. Now, the Bible says uh, let's talk about God's love. Verses 35, 37, and 39 mention uh, the love of God. Now, when we look at the word love in the Bible, it can mean different things. Uh, there is uh, the, the word love, which means, which is eros. Uh, you'll find the Greek word uh, eros or eros, 
uh, for love, and that means a um, a romantic love or a, a sexual kind kind of love. But that's not the love that's referred to here in this passage of scripture. There's another word for love in the Bible, phileo. And uh, that's where we get our word brotherly love. This is kind of a friendship love, but that's not the word for, that's not the, the, the definition of love that Paul uses here. There's a third kind of love, and that word is agape. And that word is unconditional. It's, uh, it's something that uh, means that you don't have to do something for me for you to, for me to love you. I love you. And that is the love that Paul is referring to here in, uh, in our text this morning. It's an unconditional kind of love. And, and that is, we're not real familiar with that love. Um, you know, when we go to the store to buy a birthday card or an anniversary card, uh, we'll, th- we'll look through a lot of different cards, won't we? And we'll talk about our, our love for the person that uh, we're giving this card to. But a lot of times as you read those cards, um, those lo- words refer to the fact, I love you because... This is what you do in my life. Uh, this is what you mean to me. To me. This is this. I, I want to acknowledge. I appreciate the things that you are doing in my life. But it's it's a it's a verbiage. It's a card that says I love you because of what you do for me. That's that's not the hallmark card that Paul is referring to or writing here on God's behalf in this text this morning. What what Paul is saying about God's love is he's not saying, I love you because of what you do for me, child of God. Paul is saying, God is saying, I love you. I love you, period. We can have confidence that we have the, that the victory is ours, that nothing will separate us from the love of God, church, Christian, because God loves you. He loves me. It is an agape love. And he's telling us in this text this morning that you are valuable to me. Have you ever tried to figure out, you know, what what determines the value of something? You know, it, there's the craziest things out there that people will spend money for. You know, and what to, what determines um, the value of something is what, you know, somebody is willing to pay for it. Has has anybody ever collected Beanie Babies before, you know, there's there's some some incredible prices for some Beanie Babies out there. Uh, John, can you bring up that first picture? I, I think we have a picture of it. No, that's the that's the baseball card. I'll get to that. That's another baseball card that I think I used to own. I'll get to that in a minute. Is there another picture? 
There we go. That's the Princess Diana Beanie Baby. Now, I, I believe that this was being sold on eBay back in 2012. And I don't know if in, anybody paid the asking price. But you know what the asking price for this was? $50,000. Okay? Now, I... If, if somebody paid that much for that beanie, then that's the value of that beanie baby. But the value is whatever willing, somebody is willing to pay for it. Now let's bring up the, uh, Willie Mays card. You know, I used to be a millionaire. Did you know that? I, yeah, I used to be a millionaire and then my mom threw away my baseball cards. Yeah, when I went away to, to college, you know, I had a bunch of baseball cards in my closet. And my mom, I just looked at those and said, he doesn't have any need for this anymore. I've never watched him play with these cards. And he, yeah, she just threw them all away. But I think I had that card, that Willie Mays card. You know how much that Willie Mays card sold for? $35,000. Let us let me show you the most expensive a uh, baseball card that uh, was ever purchased. This is a Horace Wagner baseball card. You know what it's sold for? Its value is $2.8 million for that card. Can you believe it? You know, what determines the value? Whatever a person is willing to pay for it. You know how valuable you are? To God? No, the Bible says, God, Jesus says, I love you this much. And he stretched out his arms and he died for us. You know, the Bible says in our text this morning that you are valuable to God. You're so valuable to him. That he sent his one and only son. He didn't spare his only son for you. His son paid the ultimate price so that you might have the forgiveness of your sin. Look at verse 32. Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son. Not only did he not spare his own son to be in relationship with you, but verse 33 says that he removed all the charges against us. What shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. He dropped all, all the charges were dropped against you because Jesus paid the price on the cross. The Bible says that you are justified. You know what justified? The most simplest definition of justification if you just break that into th- that justified into three syllables, just if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you. He has pronounced you and me not guilty. Now again, 
this isn't a universal not guilty. The Bible says God desires for all to be saved, that no one be lost. But it's only for those whose lives are in Christ that we are saved, that we are justified. So verse 33, the Bible says God has removed all the charges that were held against us. And in verse 34, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Who is who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, inter- interceding for us. God loves you and me so much that Jesus died in our place and he took our condemnation upon himself and we are no longer um, we are no longer condemned. We are not guilty. That's how much God loves us. We are loved. Now look at verse 37. Verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's one thing that bothers me about that verse. The word loved. You know, I I want that verse to say, um, for him who loves us. I want that verse that word to be in the present tense but it's not in the present tense it's in it's in the past tense as if god used to love us but that's not necessary that is not exactly the tense that the word loved is written in it is the aorist participle which means there is a loved but it is a specific points to a specific event that God did to show his love to us. We are loved, we were loved because of what Jesus did at Calvary. It's the aorist participle. It's pointing to a specific event where God demonstrated. God showed his love for all of us. We are loved. And when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says it was full, it was complete, and he cried out before he took his last breath, it is finished. I have done everything I could do to show my love for you, to take your sin away, for you to be justified, for you not to be condemned any longer. That's what God did to us. That's how God showed his love for us. And so our victory is assured because of what Jesus did on the cross. Not only is victory assured because of God's love, but it's also assured because of God's sovereignty. In verses 35 and 38 and 39, again, the context of Romans chapter 8, the context is suffering. 
And when we talk about the love of God, that doesn't mean that God is going to keep us from a life of suffering. His children are going to go through suffering just like the rest of the world. Now, let me go back to God's love for a moment. Some some of you are in, in a context of suffering right now, and you're questioning, you know, God, why is this happening? God, do you love? God, do you care? And what Paul is telling us in this passage is don't look at your circumstances to determine whether God loves you or not. Look at the cross. Always look at the cross. God loves you regardless of your circumstances. And so, in the, so here we, we see in verse 35 that uh, because he loves us, that doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy or comfortable. Let me read verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. These are words that Roman Christians are very familiar with. Because they are experiencing these things. And these words cover virtually every kind of possible Calamity. And just as these Roman Christians were going through these kinds of circumstances, friends, today, as followers of Christ, we're not immune from those kinds of circumstances as well. And there are Christians all around the world, particularly in Muslim nations or third world countries, who are experiencing these very events. And as believers in Christ here in the United States of America, we live in unprecedented days. But the Bible doesn't describe these kinds of days. We are in a unique situation. And Paul is writing to these believers and saying that God is a sovereign God and he is in control of all situations. His love is assured. His love is always going to be there. He is promising God's love. He's not promising a life of leisure, of comfort, but he is promising God's love and our inseparability to God's love. This is what Paul is promising in this passage of Scripture. And I don't want to leave you with some kind of unfounded hope that because you claim to be a Christ follower, follower, that everything is always going to be simple and carefree in your life. That's not what 
Paul is encouraging these believers as they're going through times of suffering. And you and I are going to experience the very same things. But understand, God is sovereign over it all. He is sovereign before the event occurs. He is sovereign in the middle of the event. And he is sovereign over when the event is complete. You know, I hear some some people talk about the fact that, you know, God loves us, God cares, and as we go through different circumstances that are beyond God's control, at the end of the event, God's going to take those things and He's going to work them out for our good. That's not the kind of God that the Bible describes. The Bible says that God is sovereign before it happens, in the middle of it, and after after it happens. God is fully in control. He's not off his throne for a period of time as life happens and then gets back on his throne and works it all out for his good, for our good and his glory. No, he's in charge the whole time. And how do I know this? Well, verse 36, Paul quotes from Psalm chapter 44. Okay? And he, he, and he, um, Quotes verse 22 of Psalm 44. But Paul says this. He quotes this verse. For your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. If you go back and you read the context of Psalm 44, the children of Israel are going through some horrendous stuff. I don't understand why, but God has a purpose in it all, and God is sovereign and fully in control. God allowed his son, Jesus, to be like a sheep led to the slaughter for our deliverance. For our forgiveness. God wasn't off his throne at that point. God was fully in control. And in his foreknowledge, he knew the heart of man. He knew the evil of man. And God can't, God does not perform evil, but God used the evilness of mankind to do things that would bring people to him for people to know him the good and the bad God is all mixing together God has a purpose we may not ever know the reason I talked about this last week we don't understand the reason why God allows these kind of things to happen in our lives. But he tells us he has a purpose. 
He's conforming us to the image of his son. He's drawing us closer to him. Maybe he's wanting to purge some some sin out of our life. Maybe he's using that time of suffering to take us into his very presence for all eternity. But God has a purpose. God is sovereign over it all. And Paul is wanting to use biblical authority to encourage us and help us to know that God is in charge. God is in control. I heard uh, John Piper preach a similar message. In fact, he used this text um, the Sunday in his church after 9-11. That even in that event, as terrorists were flying uh planes into the World Trade Center and thousands of people lost their lives. There were Christians. There were Christians in those towers. And as Christians, we are not immune to persecution, to suffering. And even in that moment, God was sovereign and God was fully in control. And Paul is telling us in this passage of scripture that neither tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not saying that none of these things will ever happen to us. What Paul is saying is we serve a sovereign God and whatever might come our way, nothing, absolutely nothing will separate us from the love of God. God wants to grow us to the point as his children that regardless of the circumstances, we can sing, blessed be your name. He gives and he takes away, blessed be your name. And when we can praise him in the darkness the darkest of night, we can praise Him and glorify Him. We know that we are growing in our relationship with Jesus and we are being conformed to His image. We are more than conquerors. And so my question to you this morning, I'm just about done. I don't know your circumstances. But are you approaching your circumstances as a victor or a victim? God wants through your circumstances to draw you to him. For you to see him that you couldn't see him no any other way. 
five weeks ago now, I mentioned a friend of mine in the San Bernardino area. I had uh, her two girls in my youth group as I was the youth pastor there. Um, the mom's name is Cindy Smith. And uh, I read to you her blog as she just had found out that she had a... Uh, she had cancer. She didn't know the kind of cancer or how extensive her cancer her was her cancer was, but she was choosing to trust God in it. Since then, she has uh, found out that she has um, stage four cancer, and uh, there's nothing that doctors can do to uh, remove this cancer from her her body. And, uh, and she's been writing this blog. I think this is her fir- her fifth blog. And she's just being very trans- transparent, you know, very human. But, uh, God is, uh, God is just, uh, speaking to her life. And I, she just, um, wrote this on September 16th. And I thought that, um, you might appreciate her words. And it fits this text of, of scripture this morning. And she quotes from Isaiah chapter 43, verses uh, 2, 3, and 5. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And she goes to write this. And the title of this blog is Perspective. Today I am not suffering. I do not have pain. I can breathe clearly. My home is intact. With stage four lung cancer, I am acutely aware that things could change in the blink of an eye. And that suffering may be a very real part of my future. As soon as my diagnosis became public, the stories of the suffering of others began to appear everywhere I turned. Those who suffer day after day with chronic disease or pain, families enduring incredibly difficult circumstances, a heartbreaking phone call from from the mom of a friend who took her own life. Then came the fires, the floods, the hurricanes, Soon, my stage four lung cancer began to pale in comparison to the suffering others were facing. Perspective. As I have moved through the five steps of grief over the last few months, I have safely arrived at acceptance. It is a relief to be here because my perspective has changed. The paralyzing fear I had a month ago that tried to rip into my sanity has been replaced with a plan of action for my health and the renewed understanding that as a believer, I am in a win-win situation, whether I live 12 months or 12 years. I will have an abundant life here on earth as long as I live, or I will have a perfectly abundant life in heaven if I die. Emerging from the fog of fear, I made the decision to forego conventional cancer treatments, but I'm working closely with a naturopathic doctor to improve my quality and quantity of life. I've changed my lifestyle, and I'm working towards fighting this cancer in a non-traditional way. 
I feel really good most days, and I'm waiting and watching for the things God is doing all around me as he directs my steps. My journal is quickly filling up. Yes, he has always been doing things around me, but I am paying attention now and writing them down as a reminder of his great love and his attention to the details of my life. Perspective. In the past couple of weeks, I have witnessed God moving in ways that I simply cannot ignore. So I must share. My daughter and her husband announced about a month ago that they had decided to move back, to move from the beautiful Florida Keys, uh, the community of uh, Marathon, back to California so that they could be near me. This was huge because I know how much they loved it there. In a few days, a job and a home were both provided in a miraculous way, ways that only could have been orchestrated by God. But the timing, the timing was incredible. They left the Florida Keys on Friday, September 1st, and just about the time they were unloading and moving truck, the moving truck on Wednesday, September 6th, the Florida Keys were being totally evacuated. Our family shed tears as photos began to appear on social media of the complete devastation in Marathon over this past weekend. I do not claim to understand how God decides who gets out of Marathon, Florida before a hurricane and who loses everything, or why some people get cancer and others live long, healthy lives. But I do know this. He can use something like stage 4 lung cancer with a terminal diagnosis to move a family across the United States out of harm's way, a family that would not have moved had I not been ill. It is mind-boggling and humbling. Perspective. There are people all around us, including many of you, who are suffering in unfathomable ways. But this suffering is not random or without purpose. God wants us to draw near to him so that he can do a new work in us, bring meaning to our suffering, and give us a new perspective. If God is for you, who can be against you? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Yes, you may have circumstances that God in his sovereignty have allowed to occur in your life. But God has a purpose. Don't look for the reason. Know the purpose. He is conforming you to the image of his son. He wants to use it in your life to draw you closer to him. Maybe there's sin in your life that he wants to purge out of your life as you humbly come before him. And maybe ultimately he wants to take you home to be with him in your suffering. That's not loss. That's victory. Christian, don't live in defeat. Don't determine your value based upon your circumstances.
determine your values by looking to the cross. Let's pray. God, we want to trust you. I know that's easy to do when life is good and there are no trials. But it's a whole nother matter when, Lord, you've allowed things in our lives that are difficult. We didn't anticipate, that we didn't invite. But, God, you are writing. God, help help us to be faithful. Help us to not look at the, the waves, to live a life of fear and, and sink in our circumstances. Like Peter, Lord, help us to see you, Jesus, walking on the water. Knowing that whatever... Fear is in our life, Lord. It's under your feet. Thank you, God, for giving Cindy your perspective. As difficult as it is, God, she sees you and she knows you and you are at work in amazing ways that she never could have orchestrated. And regardless of her outcome here on earth, God, she knows that she's going to win. God, help us to praise you in the storm. Christian, I don't know where you're at, but God does. Would you just cry out to him, call upon him? God, you hear that cry. Open their eyes to truth. Help them to live above the circumstances rather than beneath them. May their circumstances serve your highest calling for their life. Keep them from being slaves to those circumstances. God, may those circumstances draw them close to you. To be like Jesus. Father, we love you. Use this time of invitation in people's hearts and lives this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.